0: We welcome you to the Christian Ministries Church podcast. We believe God has a message for you today that will encourage and speak truth to your heart and life. Let's join Pastor Melanie Bertolio as she shares the word with us today. We've been talking about living by faith all year long and I'm gonna use a a passage of scripture today that we will get to in a few minutes um, that you've heard already this year and you've actually heard it several times but I want to I talk about it for a reason that is, is kind of specific and, and a way that we haven't talked about it leading up to this very moment. But before I do that, I've got to give you all a short history lesson. And I know some of you don't love history, and I'm sorry, but please try to stay engaged because here's, here's the thing about it. I mean, the Bible is history. It's important that we know history. That's why God gave us that so that we could learn from history. And so I want to tell you a little bit about the Apostle Paul because we're going to be reading about several things that he says to us in the New Testament. And so you need to know about the Apostle Paul. First of all, let me just say this. Roughly half of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. There are 27 books, and we know that he wrote 13 of them, and some people believe that he may have written um, the book of Hebrews as well, which, um, which would put him a little over half. But either way, he wrote a significant portion of the New Testament. So that makes him a pretty influential guy. We, I don't know if we ever go a Sunday, uh, whoever is pa- preaching up here, I don't know if we ever go a Sunday that we don't quote something that the Apostle Paul wrote down. And I'm saying wrote down because they're not his words. They're God's words through the Apostle Paul. But he actually wrote down over half of the New Testament. Um, but but let's get a little background on Paul. Paul was a Jew, and specifically he was a Pharisee. And and, and you may or may not know this, but but Jesus, I mean, he had a... He had a number of uh, very contentious conversations with Pharisees. Pharisees were Jewish people who were um, very, very, very highly trained in the area of the law. And uh, they they were a little, if just to be honest, they were a little bit snooty. They looked down on other people um, who weren't didn't know the law to the degree that they did. But really, I mean, we kind of, they get a, get a bad rap in some ways, um, perhaps that they don't deserve it, because they did study the law. They studied uh, the Torah, and they knew it. They memorized it. They were very, very, very well-versed on the law of God. Um, and they were formed they, because... Uh, it was a group of of Jewish people who became very concerned about the secularization of the Hebrew people under Roman authority okay so at this point in time uh, they are they are under Roman authority and what what these Jews began to realize was that um the Jews were that the Hebrew people as a whole were beginning to assimilate into the Roman culture and they were uh, they were doing what people have done since the beginning of time what Jews have done since the beginning since God chose them to be his his own people, they were doing the same thing in that they were starting to to worship the other gods of the people in whose land they were living and the people who they were under the authority of. And so so these Pharisees begin to see all these Jewish people starting to turn their back on their one true God, Jehovah or Yahweh, and to embrace these gods of the Romans. And so in... In their efforts to, to get people to, to remember Jehovah, to, to, to worship God, they were studying so they could um, teach the people. The only problem with that is this, that they, they knew the Torah. They knew the words of God, but they really didn't know God. And they missed the heart of God when he gave those words, all right? So they became this people that were all the the Pharisees who were really puffed up because of their knowledge. That's uh, Paul, even after, after his encounter with Jesus, he actually uses that language to talk about people who have knowledge but don't understand the heart of God. They are puffed up. But they're very lacking in love, and so I don't know about you, but when if someone came to me and they started wanting to tell me about Jesus Christ, and they started t- started out with all the rules, I, I don't know that I'm going to be drawn to that. As a matter of fact, that's there are a lot of people who who have never committed their lives to Christ because of people in their lives who just tell them what all the rules are. Here are all the rules. You can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't cuss, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. And and let me just say, I am not minimizing all the things that you shouldn't do. All of those things, the law, when it was written, it was actually written for the people. So when the law when God said, do not murder and do not steal and do not have an affair with your your neighbor's wife, that was actually for the people. That wasn't to put them in bondage and make things more difficult for them. That was that was for them. That was so that they could live. Okay, but 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 there there are always people who are gonna see these rules as bondage. Why? Because Satan is always trying to convince the believer that bondage is freedom and that freedom is bondage. Okay, so you get get people, and and, and especially in in the New Testament church, we we get a lot of people who really fall into one category or the other, and they're either so grace-minded that anything goes, or they're so legalistic that, that all they can talk about and think about are the rules. And, and so if you kind of think about it in that way, you, you, you could imagine that the, the, the Pharisees would probably fall into this legalistic side. They were all about the rules, and they really missed the heart of God behind his law. I got to tell you, as the principal of Christian Ministries Academy... I am the the chief in charge of getting people to obey rules. Some of those rules I I wrote myself, and some of them are just rules that were handed down to me that these are the rules, and this is what people should, should do. And I have learned over the years that parents and students alike are much more inclined To embrace those rules when they understand the why behind them. When you know the heart and the why, it's not nearly so difficult to embrace those things. I've had people, well, I was this person that before when my kids started going to school there, and the first semester that they were in the school, I didn't volunteer in the school. And so they would come home and they would say, well, we can't do this or we can't do this or we can't do that or we have to do it this way. And and I would think to myself, well, that's just silly. Why? Why? Why would we have to do that? Well, then I started volunteering in the school. And guess what? I learned the why. And suddenly... Well, why wouldn't we have that rule? Why wouldn't we do it that way? Um, so, so people can get really hung up on rules. And if you, if if you are that person today who is so hung up on the rules, I want—I I have just been praying that you will get some freedom today. Um, maybe not in the way that, maybe in a way that would surprise you. But getting back to Paul. Um, he spent his life learning the rules. In Philippians 3, Now, this is after he's met Jesus. So he's now a Christian when he's saying this, but he's talking about his former life. And he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Well, if he obeyed the law without fault, why do you need Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? If he knew the the word of God and he obeyed it without fault, why did he need Jesus? Well, you know, Jesus said that there are people whose mouths say all the right things, but their hearts are far from him. And I think that is probably something that pertained to Paul because Paul knew all the stuff. His knowledge puffed him up, but what he learns later is that love builds up, and he teaches us that. Um, we've got to have a picture of who Paul is before we talk about what I want to talk about today, uh, because I think this is it, it, Paul's story. Really, I think is my story. Paul's story, I think, might well be your story, and. And Paul ended really well. And so if you are that Christian who thinks that you're just not quite pulling off this Christian walk, this life that you ought to be living, let me just give you some encouragement. Paul ended well, and we're going to see that. Um, He admits that he persecuted the church. He admits that he did that to the point of death for some people. He was the one holding the the coats of the people while they stoned Stephen. Stephen was the man who cried out and said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And so Paul is standing there while all this is going on, all right? When Jesus said, woe to you Pharisees, you hypocrites. He was talking to Paul at the time. Does that change the way you think about Paul just a little bit? Because we, we, we read all these books that Paul wrote and we're just like, oh my goodness. No, I could never be like Paul Well, Paul wasn't like Paul. It took Jesus for Paul to be like Paul in the end. And so it's important that you get an idea of Paul and and who he was before his encounter with Christ. He persecuted people who were following Jesus. He killed them. He was... Uh, he, he, he mercilessly pursued them. And he tells us that later on. He was very confrontational. You, you know anybody that's confrontational? Most confrontational people don't admit to being confrontational. They, 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 they don't consider themselves to be that. They're just trying to, to set the world straight. But he was confrontational and he was fighting people on every front all of the time until one day. And we're going to look at that. what happened in this one day, Acts chapter 9. We're going to read a bunch of it, so I need you to stick with me, okay? But it's important. This is Paul's story. This is the road to Damascus story. This is the story that changed his life. He was enlightened and, and, and God revealed himself to Paul in this moment. If you are a Christian today, you've had this moment and you have to know that you've been enlightened. Even if you don't feel enlightened, you've been enlightened. So in, in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, it says, meanwhile, Saul, who, who is Paul, um, and by the way, just so we know, God didn't change Saul's name to Paul. We, we say that a lot, but actually, Paul was just another name for Saul. And if you read uh, the word, you'll, you'll learn that. But, and even after he was saved, Jesus referred to him as Saul. Um, but, that, but Paul was actually the Roman uh, pronunciation of his Hebrew name, Saul. So meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. So it's not just that they were telling him, hey, go round these people up. He's going to the leadership and he's going, can I please give me permission to go round up all these crazy lunatics that are following this Jesus Christ and let me kill them all? That's what he's doing. It's not not just some passive, okay, if that's what you tell me to do, that's what I'm going to do. No, he is actively pursuing them. And so he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision, I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, said, Anani- exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to be- the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls on your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him much. how much He must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul. He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He regained his sight. He got up and was baptized. Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength now there's more to the story Saul uh begins to preach and and he's preaching there in Damascus and people get excited about it and and uh, so then he he gets he decides to go back to Jerusalem well, he goes to Jerusalem well in Jerusalem, they know the Saul that Ananias knew, and they were afraid of him and so um, he had to go spend some time in uh In solitude where the Lord ministered to him. And then he comes back and he begins to do all of the things we know Paul to do later. But here's what I want you to know about Paul. He was a fighter before he met Jesus. He was a fighter. After he met Jesus, he was a fighter. Okay, what I don't want us to, to, to get is this idea that I'm going to talk about the good fight today. And you've got to know there's a good fight, which would imply that there's also a a bad fight. Okay, so fighting isn't wrong. And Paul was all about fighting. And before he encountered Jesus Christ, he fought like the Dickens to To absolutely annihilate the message of Christ. But once he encountered Jesus, he fought even harder to spread the message, to tell the world. And you know what? He did it through suffering and pain. Saul's life from the moment he met Jesus was never without suffering again. And yet, he counted that as a privilege for the cause of Christ. And so, some of us are suffering in here today. That doesn't mean that you can't be more joyful in your suffering than you have ever been. Why? Because you have a hope. That only comes from Jesus Christ. And Paul suddenly experienced this great hope. So after his encounter with Christ, he goes on to have a completely different type of mentality toward the fight in life. Because all of life is a fight. All of life is a struggle. But he approached it very differently. And I want to use as our main verse, first Timothy chapter 6 and he's he's writing a letter here to Timothy, who was um, had been his companion and then later became a pastor of a church in Ephesus. and um, he's writing this letter to encourage Timothy. but he says something really important here and it says in, starting in verse 11, it says, "You Timothy are a man of God, so run from all these, Uh, evil things and he's been talking about the love of money so he's saying don't don't get hung up on money all right run from that type of evil pursue righteousness and a godly life along with faith love perseverance and gentleness now think about this he's telling them to pursue gentleness to be gentle and then he says this fight the good fight For the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. And in verse 20, he says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you with their so called knowledge. You know why Paul knew about so called knowledge? Because he'd had it at one point in time, hadn't he? He had so called knowledge. But he was missing the relationship with God. Um, but how can he, who's saying fight the good fight for the true faith, say, but you, listen, you've got you've to have some gentleness about you. okay? And how can he say avoid godless, foolish discussions with those who oppose you? How do I, how do I have a fight with the people who are opposing me if I'm avoiding all the discussions about the things that we're supposed to fight about. Have you ever asked that question? There's a good fight. And he's, Paul's telling us to fight it. But then he's telling us all the ways not to fight it. you got to think about it from Paul's perspective. And that's why I wanted us to understand Paul. Paul spent years and years fighting a bad fight. So what did that fight look like? It looked like a lot of knowledge and no love. It looked like a lot of condemnation and no grace. It looked like a lot of conflict and no resolution. It looked like a lot of hostility and no reconciliation. That's a bad fight, and I, as I, I've been meditating that verse, and I've just been asking myself this question over and over and over again: How would I define a bad fight? Because if 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 we're supposed to fight the good fight, I need to be able to define those terms. What's the bad fight, and what's the good fight? Right. And 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 this is Melanie, so you got to know this is Melanie interpreting. It's, but for me, a bad fight is the fight where I win. Now, I'm going to clarify that in a little bit because I know, I know that there is a little argument that could be made there. But the bad fight is the fight where I win. How could, how could that be bad? Well, think about this. When the goal is to prove that I'm right, it's a bad fight. When the goal is to prove that you're wrong, it's a bad fight. When the goal is to get as many people to agree with me as I can so that fewer people agree with you, it's a bad fight. When the goal is to justify my sin and point out yours, it's a bad fight. Paul thought a bad fight for much of his life. And he admitted that he did so. And it came from this place of pride. Why? Because knowledge puffs us up. It makes us think we're more than what we are. I mean, he, I, he, I think it may have been him that said, don't think of yourself more highly than you should. That's that's the place where Paul was coming from. He was fighting to be right. And you know what happened when Paul fought to be right? And I want you to think about this. Everyone around him suffered. When he was fighting to be right, everyone around him suffered. Because the truth wasn't going forth when he's... Fought. I mean, when he's, when he's hammering people over the head with all the rules, that's half of the truth, right? Because if you, if, if, you, if you give the law without the love of God, you're given half. That's not the whole truth. So even the people who agreed with him weren't getting the real truth. And the people who disagreed with him were getting death... Or were being wounded in ways that were some physical and some uh, quite, I mean, surely were emotional. I mean, when you think about Ananias, he's like, Lord, please don't send me there. Why? He was afraid of him. Okay, so so a bad fight produces a bad fight. Always produces suffering. It always produces pain. And while we may have to suffer as Christians, it's not the type of suffering that God is okay with. It's 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 man imposed suffering and I'm not insinuating that God imposes suffering on us. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in life there is suffering. And we can go through it with God or we can go through it without him. And and Paul was imposing a suffering on people that was sourced out of his own arrogance and pride. Here's the deal. Whether the fight was right or wrong, he won, didn't he? Or did he? 2,000 years almost after Paul, Christians everywhere are still having these kinds of fights. And you think about that. I mean, you, you just get on Facebook for five minutes and you will see it. I mean, it's more important for some Christian people to publicly ridicule other Christians than it is to tell a lost person that they can be saved. It's more important for, for me to be right on Facebook about theology than it is for me to tell someone, hey, Jesus loves you and he died for you and he wants to be everything that you've been missing in life. We would rather debate our theology, our Bible translations, our our denominations. We would rather debate all of that than to tell someone how faithful God has been to us this week. We'd rather focus our attention on someone else's sin and their terrible story than on our own. We'd rather talk about the people who aren't here today than admit that maybe we're not engaged like we ought to be. We'd rather defend our own sin than to repent. And it happens every day in Christian circles. And these are bad fights. They, they are fights that the enemy uses. The only one who's winning in, when we're having these fights is, is the devil himself. And he's using this pettiness and this this pride and this arrogance that that, that we still have in our flesh. He's using that to distract us from the things that really, really matter. But here's what you can know. It's a bad fight. But there's a good fight. And all you got to do is make the decision To start fighting the good fight. I want to tell you what my interpretation of the good fight is. The good fight is the one where God wins. See, when I forgive someone, God wins. When I repent, God wins. When I worship, God wins. When I pray, God wins. When I read the word, when I study it, when I meditate on it, God wins. When I choose to love the the, the one person that it's so hard for me to love, God wins. When I submit my will to his, God wins. When I, and, and I don't know if you know this or not, but this is actually Bible. When I consider someone else as more important than me, God wins. When I obey him, God wins. When I stop condoning my own sin, God wins. When the Bible becomes my standard for living, God wins. And when I chase after him above all else, God wins. See, there's a there's a there's there's two types of fights. There's the fight Where I'm fighting to win. And many times in my own Christian walk, I have been fully convinced that I was fighting God's fight. And there was nothing about it that was about the Lord. Nothing. I wanted to win. I knew I was right and I wasn't going to stop until I won. When Rick and I first got married, that was my goal. I didn't see us as, as two people who have become one. I, I was on his side until there was a disagreement, and then it was all about who wins. And I actually had, I think I read this book, but it was talking about how, you know, what does, a, what does an, a, an injured animal do when it gets cornered? It comes out scratching and clawing. And I realized that every single time we would have a disagreement, all I was trying to, I was trying to injure him and back him into a corner. And you know what happened when I would be successful? He'd come out scratching and clawing. And we would hurt each other so deeply. And it took God revealing to me that. That's, that was my fight. When I realized that God was saying to me, you're on the same side. You agree on far more than you disagree on. And you are just supposed to be working together to accomplish the same thing. Because most of the time, we wanted the same outcome. We just disagreed on how to get it. That's a bad fight when I dig my heels in and determine that I'm unwilling to to allow there to be any solution except for mine. The really great thing about when God wins is that everybody wins. But the goal has to be God winning first. The goal has to be him winning first. In Ephesians 6.12, it says this. It says, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. It's, it's not a physical fight that against an enemy that we can see. And we, I'm telling you, when you think about people that you struggle with and, and, and faces come to your mind, you've, you've got to get to that point point where you go, no, 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 they are not the enemy. There is an enemy, but it's not someone sitting three seats down from you or not someone living in your home and it's not your, your, your parents, it's not your, your children, it's not your, your extended family, it's not the people you work with. The enemy is the devil himself who's just making great use of our pride and our arrogance. And he's just laughing as we hurt and wound one another. But here's what's really amazing. Paul never stopped being a fighter. He just chose different fights. How was he able to do that? Well, for starters, he got saved. You know what he did right after he got saved? He got filled with the Holy Spirit. And he began to have the spirit of the God he had had learned about and read about his whole life. Suddenly that spirit came inside him and gave him the power to do things he had never had the power to do in his life. And if you think you can't forgive somebody, then we need to talk because if you're saying that you are a Christian and yet you can't forgive someone, then what I'm telling you is you haven't accessed the power of God that is within you. He got saved and he he was filled with supernatural power. He began to understand the Old Testament scripture that he knew that said, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. He began to understand that. Paul, Paul went on to say this, and, and it was in reference to, to a specific fight, but it can apply. It's, it, the principle is... is is good for any fight that we go in. But he said, I don't fight as someone who beats the air. Now, get that picture in your mind. You ever see someone? He said, no, I'm not fighting some imaginary foe. It's a real enemy that I'm fighting. I'm, some of the versions say, I'm not, I don't shadow box. He's not shadow boxing. He's actually fighting a real fight. But he finally has gotten a revelation of who the true enemy is. And I'm just going to tell you right now, the true enemy is crafty, and he disguises himself as an angel of light. And when he comes and he whispers things in your ear, he makes them sound very religious and very right. And he gets convinces us that things are, are, are from God that are not from God at all. And I think that Paul was like a lot of us, convinced Fully that he was fighting for the Lord, when in fact he was just fighting to be right. I've watched so many Christian people over the years get a revelation from God, and you get so excited for him, you know? I mean, when some, I mean, just like when I was talking about that revelation I got, just about the way I was fighting with Rick all the time. I mean, just my method of, I mean, you're gonna have conflicts in marriage. But you can, you can have disagreements. You can fight the right way in a marriage. And When I got that revelation, here's what I didn't do. I didn't run to Facebook and start telling everybody else how to get the revelation that I just got. See, I'm watching Christians all over the place get a word from the Lord. And they don't get this, that that word from the Lord was for them in that moment, that their life might be changed, that they might be able to say, I know what the good fight is now. I'm going to abandon these crazy, ridiculous, time-consuming fights that only hurt the people around me, that only elevate me. And I know what the good fight is, but, but that's not what we do. We want to go tell the world about this revelation that God's given us instead of allowing God to let that thing sink in and grow roots within us so that we can begin to live and operate on that revelation. See, I didn't go tell the whole world about it. Why? Because I needed to practice it for a long, long time before it would even matter to you. Before you could hear it and go, oh, wow, I, I actually, I, th- I think I've known Melanie long enough to know that that, that is, she doesn't fight the way she's saying she once fought but we want to get on Facebook and we want to, to, we want to influence and we want to help other people. Well, that's a great thing, except it's not your fight in the moment. There are too many of us out here that need to let God do the work on us and quit trying to fix everybody else. That's not your fight. Now, that doesn't mean maybe you know somewhere deep in you that you're supposed to teach or you're supposed to preach or you, you, you know, that doesn't mean you never will. It just means that you have to do it in the Lord's timing and not yours. And so many people are so preemptive and they get ahead of God Trying to to share something that, that hasn't made its way down into the deepest parts of them so that people can witness their transformation. They talk about it a lot, but no one's really seen it. James 1, verse 23 says Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. Your Bible is your mirror. After looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Paul had always looked at the Word of God as something to learn so that he could teach it to everybody else so that they would know what they were doing wrong. And James is telling us that... When we look at the word, we're to look at the word so that it might change us. So that it reveals to me what I look like. So when it tells me to stop gossiping, I'm not thinking about everybody else that's gossiping. I'm asking myself, what am I gossiping about? In what area of my life is there still gossip? And how can I root that out of me? I just hear people all the time talking about how we just need revival. The revival is will happen when Christian people start looking into the Word of God and seeing it as their mirror, not as something that they can learn so they can tell everybody else what they're all doing wrong. And it's I'm telling you, revival could happen like that. If we would all just decide today to worry about us. See, I knew I could tell you every wrong thing Rick was doing in every argument that we had, and I could tell you where he was standing in the room, what he was wearing. But I was missing the whole point. And many of us are missing the point. It's about us. The good fight is the one that is within, the one where we are fighting to do what God says, the one where we are fighting to be in His Word that it might change and transform us. I, I call kids into the, the the office to talk to them about their behavior. And, and, and almost every time, one of the first things that, that, that they will do is they want to say, well, what about so-and-so? They were doing it. All I can tell you is I think adults do that as much as kids. The kids are learning it somewhere. A person who listens to the Word of God and does what it says is someone who's concerned with themselves, and that's the good fight. That's the fight where, where we are fighting to do the will of God in our lives. His word is his will, and we are fighting for it. See, I've I've purposed in my heart that I'm going to fight for the word to prevail in my life. I'm going to fight to be obedient to the God who has saved me. And again, the great thing about that fight It's a fight that puts God first, and when I put God first, he wins, and I win every single time. In 2 Timothy 4, this is Paul's second letter to Timothy, and it's toward the end of it. And and I love this, because this is Paul talking about the fight again. And he says, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. Okay, let's go back to the very beginning. Paul hurt the people around him. He caused great suffering and great pain for a great deal of his life. And yet... At the end of it, he's able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've been faithful. And now a prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will give me on the day of his return. And that prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. You can have all the knowledge in the world. All it does is puff you up if it's not accompanied by love. And Paul, when he was walking along that road and that light shone, and Jesus Christ spoke to him, the revelation that he got was the love of God. And that is the same love that is now in you The Bible says that it has been, when you become a Christian, it has been shed abroad in your heart. That means it's in you. But you've got to work to fight the fight to access that and not to live in the flesh, which is the bad fight. Every fight, there's there's one question to ask. Is this a good fight? Here's the question: if you're trying to determine if something is a good fight, here's the question you ask: Who wins? Who wins? And if the first answer is me, then it's not a good fight. If it's anyone other than God wins, God gets the glory, God gets the, all the attention. If it's anything other than that, It's not a good fight. And I want to encourage you, because I know some of y'all out there, you're fighters. I'm a fighter. I've had to, to work to contain this thing in me for 55 years now that just wants to stir things up. Here's the deal. I can still stir things up. I just got to do it for the right reason, for the right Uh, end goal, and that's to glorify God. Thank you for being part of our podcast today. You'll find more online messages from Christian Ministries Church, as well as location information on our website at cmchurch.net. There's a place for you at Christian Ministries Church, where it's more than a church, it's family.